0: Well, today we are in week number two of a series that we started last week that we're calling Brought to Bring, and uh, we are talking about the calling uh, that God has given us to be bringers, and uh, when we have been brought to Jesus, then we are commissioned and called to turn around and to bring someone else to Jesus, and so that's what this series is all about, and if you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. And so I want to encourage you to grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible today, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. And you can Go ahead and take that Bible home. But Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. How many of you are excited about jumping into God's Word today? Anybody like that? I'm excited. Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to start reading in verse number 32. The Bible says this, and as they went out, behold, they brought to him. They they brought, everybody turn to your neighbor and say, they brought him. They brought him a dumb man, uh, speaking uh, to the fact that he was mute, he could not speak, possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils to the prince of devils. Notice verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Everybody say compassion. Aren't you thankful that the God that we worship is not an indifferent, apathetic God, but he is a God that has compassion towards us. Jesus moved and was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes. Because they fainted, they were harassed and they were in pain, they scattered abroad and a sheep having no shepherd, no direction. Then he said unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Today I wanna speak to this subject, living on purpose, living on purpose. Let's have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity that we have on a weekly basis to gather together to celebrate the resurrection, to lift high your name. God, I pray that we would be a people that are concentrated not simply on our desires and what we want in life, but that we would concentrate on your will and carrying out the purpose that you have. Given to us. God, I pray that you would speak to us over the next few minutes. We love you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, My daughter, Blakely, she's four years old, and recently she has. Really been thinking about what she wants to be when she grows up, and uh, I don't know why she's really on this uh, train of thought. Perhaps maybe her older brother and sister have been talking to her about it, Uh, but she has been really thinking about what she wants to be. And the other day she narrowed it down to three things, and she told Katie uh, the three things that she thinks that she wants to be when she grows up. Number one on the list was a mermaid. (laughs) She thought maybe I'll be a mermaid, and uh, uh, she wanted to be a mermaid. Uh, The second uh, thing that she wanted to be was a sandcastle builder. She thought maybe I can be a sandcastle builder. The third thing on the list was a babysitter. She, she wants to be a babysitter. And I think that whenever we have a babysitter come to the house, she thinks they have so much fun. That's what I want to do. Little does she know, right, what's, what's actually happening. Uh, then, then she changed her mind the other day and she told Katie, you know, I think I want I to I be a Costco worker. <laughs> and uh, uh, at Costco, something happened in Costco that she just thought, that's, that's what I want to be. And uh, she is on this quest and on this mission at a young age to discover her purpose, what she wants to do, what she wants to be. And really, those are the two most fundamental questions in life. Uh, Who am I supposed to be and what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to be? That speaks to our identity. Uh, What am I supposed to do? That speaks to our purpose. Now, as a church and really as followers of Jesus, we know that we have a threefold purpose. Uh, That purpose is upward, it's inward, and it's outward. Uh, The upward purpose that God has given us is that we were created to give glory to God. And so life is not really about us and our desires. It's about giving God the glory that he deserves. And that's why the Bible says that whatsoever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so we were created to give God glory. And so that purpose is upward. The second purpose that we have is inward. And that speaks to the idea of edification, building up the body of Christ and encouraging one another and praying for one another and building each other up inward in the house of God. By the way, how many of you are thankful uh, for the encouragement and the edification and the work that God is doing here in this house that, that we are able to uh, uh, be built up together in our knowledge of Jesus Christ? And so we have this upward purpose to give God glory. We have this inward purpose to build each other up. And then we have an outward purpose, and that is to reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus, that it's not just about us four and no more, uh, but we have been called to go out to the highways and to the hedges and to uh, compel them to come in. And so we have this threefold purpose. Now, Jesus gave us what is often called the Great Commission, and uh, perhaps you have heard this and you've read the verses uh, where Jesus has uh, sent out his disciples, and he has sent out us to uh, preach the gospel. And the Bible says this in Matthew 28, verse number 19, go ye therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. By the way, I'm thankful that Jesus not only gives us his permission to change the world, but he gives us his presence to change the world. He says, I'm with you always. You don't have to do this alone, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so the question then that we have to consider today is are we living according to the purpose that Jesus has given us? Because so often what happens amongst followers of Jesus and amongst Christians is we begin to pursue pleasure, we begin to pursue comfort, we pursue our own happiness to the neglect of our God-given purpose. And so often our decisions are warped and our decisions are wrapped around uh, what is going to make me happy, what is going to be more convenient, what is going to make me more money. And somewhere along the way, we've lost sight of the fact that we've been called for a higher purpose and a higher calling on our lives. I don't want to just live for something that is temporary, that's only going to matter here and now. I have to recognize that God has given us and God has given me a divine purpose that will matter for all of eternity. And so we have to recognize this is just bigger than here and now. We have a God-given divine purpose that will have an echo and a ripple effect in all of eternity. Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 7 says this, even everyone that is called by my name, watch this, for I have created him. Why are we created? Why did God place us here? You ever think about that? Like, uh, that's one of the most popular and common questions on Google. Why am I here? Why am I created? What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? Well, we know as followers of Jesus that God says, for I have created him For my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. And so we were not created for our comfort and our glory. We were created with a higher purpose uh, to give God glory that he deserves because he is God. Now we we come to Matthew chapter number nine and we have this uh, familiar passage where Jesus is going about and uh, he has been healing and teaching and traveling from city to city. And if you read Matthew chapter eight and nine, very action-packed uh, section of scripture. Uh, Jesus has been uh, healing. He healed Jairus, his daughter. He healed the demon-possessed man. They crossed the, uh, the Sea of Galilee and just back-to-back-to-back to back to back miracles and, and really action-packed. And I love that the ministry of Jesus was, was characterized by movement and by action. Because a lot of times what we do is we sit back and we complain about what's going on in the world and we complain about what's going on in our state and we say, man, things are so bad. The culture's getting so, it's really dark out there. Things are getting really bad. Meanwhile, we never step into action. But what Jesus does is he says, hey, there are hurting people. There are people in need, and so I'm going to mobilize. I'm, gonna go out and, uh, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to share the good news of the gospel and bring about change in people's lives. And so uh, Jesus' ministry is characterized by movement and by action. First John 4.20 says this, If a man say, I love God, and yet he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his own brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? In other words, real faith is more than just something that you say. Real faith is something that you do. There's action. There's movement. And Jesus had this genuine compassion, and that genuine and authentic compassion moved him to action. By the way, uh, real compassion always leads to action. In fact, if you say that you have compassion, but there's no action, then you don't really have compassion. And so Jesus had this compassion that, that mobilized him, moved him to action. And, and today, as we look to Matthew chapter 9, I want to encourage you, keep your Bibles open, keep them ready, uh, because we're going to break down these verses and study them together, verses 32 through 38. And as we do, I want us to see four ways that we can activate our purpose, uh, four ways that we can live on purpose according to the purpose that God has given us. All right, if you're ready to jump in, would you say Amen. Number one is this. We have to acknowledge the power of Jesus. You know why we're excited about Open House Sunday? And you know why we want to tell people to come in and and to experience the gospel? Because we believe that Jesus has the power to change lives. (laughs) We have to acknowledge his power. And so we see this starting in verse number 32. We see this man who, who couldn't speak. Most commentators say he probably couldn't hear And additionally, he was possessed with a demon. And so he had everything going against him. How many of you would acknowledge that that is not a great situation to be in, this man that we see in verse number 32? And so I want you to see it. Uh, Notice verse 32. And as they went out, behold, they brought him a dumb man, a mute man possessed with the devil. And I want you to see a couple things here. I want you to see, first of all, the process. So what was the process of evangelization? What was the process that we see all throughout the Gospels? Well, the process is one person bringing another person to Jesus. Uh, this was the process that you see repeated over and over again throughout the Gospels. They brought him to Jesus. They brought him to Jesus. Uh, one of my favorite shows on TV is a show called The Prophet. With Marcus Lemonis. anybody ever seen the show Before the Prophet? And uh, I like this show because he comes into failing businesses and he basically tells them everything they're doing wrong and tries to help their business get back on track. And he has this mantra that he always talks about on the show: uh, people process product. And he says every company, every business, every organization, they have to have all three if they're going to be successful. You have to have the right people, the right process, the right product, because you can have the right people and the right process. But if you don't have the right product, you're not going to go far. If you have the right product and the right people, but you don't have the right process, you're not going to go uh, very far. And so he says you need all three. And he talks over and over again about the process. Well, what I want you to see this morning is that the process for uh, church, uh, for the, the expansion of the church and the kingdom of God, the process is always one person bringing another person to Jesus. That's the process. Now, just seven times in the Gospel of Matthew, we see this uh, played out. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse number 24. uh, They brought him all the sick people. Matthew chapter 8, verse number 16. They brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 2. They brought to him a sick man. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 22. They brought unto him one possessed with a devil. Matthew 14, 35. They brought unto him uh, all that were diseased. Matthew 19, 13. They uh, were bringing unto him the little children. Time and time again, what we see the process is, is someone bringing someone else to Jesus. And I just want to tell you today, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Hey, today we still need to keep on bringing people to Jesus and say, hey, we know the one that has the hope for the world. And we know someone that wants to love you and offer forgiveness and give you a, a greater and eternal purpose and to bring them in. And so this was the process. They, they brought them in. See, when you were saved, maybe you didn't know this, but you became an ambassador for Christ. You are, you are a representative, and so you don't just represent uh, the school that you work for or the company that you work for or uh, uh, the organization that you lead. Uh, it goes much greater and beyond that. You are an ambassador and a representative of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that he has entrusted to us. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us this assignment, and then he says that we have been called to be ambassadors for Christ. And so this is our calling. It's our responsibility to go out and to bring people in. That's the process. Uh, But not only the process, I want you to see next the power in verse 33. Everybody still with me? So we see the process. Now we're going to see the power. Verse 33, it says this. And when the devil was cast out, uh, the dumb spake. The devil was cast out, then the dumb spake. Did you see the, the order there? What Jesus does is he Cast the demon out, this man that was possessed with the devil. Jesus cast out the demon, and then he was able to speak. Not in reverse. Why? Because Jesus does not just deal with the symptom. He deals with the source. He says, I'm going to cast out this demon, and in doing so, you will be able to speak. He he always deals with the source. See, I want you to know that Jesus, in your life, he doesn't just want to fix you. He wants to free you. It's not about just dealing with the, the, the symptom and the surface issue. See, so many people, they, they, they misunderstand the gospel. And the good news of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus becomes about behavior modification and just being a better version of you and just kind of uh, cleaning up the exterior and having some better cosmetics. No, that is not the gospel. Uh, the gospel is about transforming you from the inside out. Hey, out with the old, in with the new, Jesus can give you a brand new life. And so Jesus comes and he says, okay, and he casts out the devil, and then the man is able to speak. He deals with the source, and he shows us and demonstrates his power. Uh, Even in this desperate situation where this man couldn't speak, he couldn't hear, he was possessed with a devil, uh, his life was tormented, and Jesus comes in, and in a moment, in an instant, everything is changed forever. And that is why we are passionate about the gospel message, because today there are people that are addicted, there there are people that are hopeless, there are people that are lost and confused and overcome with anxiety. And the answer today is Jesus Christ. And we have the good news to declare and to share and to go out and bring people in. And the only way that this will happen is if we acknowledge the power of Jesus. Do you believe that he is able? Do we believe that he is powerful? Do we believe that he can give us eternal life and that he can forgive us of our sins? Then we ought to go tell someone. Because if we truly believe this, about our God, and we acknowledge his power, it will lead to a passion for lost people. And so we acknowledge that Jesus has the power to transform. But I want you to see the problem here. Now, in verse number 33, they didn't have the the best response. Notice in verse 33, and when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, in the multitudes, they marveled, saying it was never so seen in Israel. They said, wow. We've never seen anything like this. And in the back of their mind, they were thinking of everything that God did, everything that they read about in the Pentateuch, everything that they had heard and and heard about the power of God, the crossing of the Red Sea and and all of the plagues and the walls of Jericho, all these stories. And they said, "There's, there's nothing like this. We've never seen anything like this. But tragically, their amazement was more about fascination than it was about faith. And we see this often in the New Testament and in the Gospels where where the crowd is real excited and they get astonished and they're marveling. Uh, we saw, it, you know, you see it on the in the triumphant entry of Jesus going into Jerusalem. They shouted, Hosanna, and they were waving the palm branches, and just a few hours later, they were shouting, crucify him. See, Jesus deserves more than just our fascination. <laughs> they were fascinated. Wow, this is amazing. I can't believe Jesus is doing this. Wow, Look at this. There was fascination, but there wasn't, always a level of faith. And what we see in the next verse is, so we have one group that they're marveling. They're like, wow, they're just amazed, they're fascinated. But then the next group in verse 34 is the Pharisees, and they have a completely different reaction. Notice it in verse 34. It says this, but the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. You know what's interesting? The doubters and the skeptics of Jesus in the gospels, they never uh, questioned his ability to perform a miracle. They, They would never discount uh, the they, they couldn't deny it. Too many people saw it. Too many witnesses were there. They could never say, oh, he didn't do this. No, this, this wasn't real. Uh, they could never say that. And so what they did was, is they would try to distract from the person of Jesus and said, yeah, he did this miracle, but he did it through the power of Satan. In, in, in other words, they were saying, uh, yeah, he cast out a devil only because he's operating with the devil's power. Uh, they said this in Mark's gospel as well in mark chapter number one and verse twenty two and the scribes came down from Jerusalem and said he hath beelzebub which is uh, uh, which was interpreted the Lord of the flies essentially a, a demonic figure, and by the prince of the devils uh, casteth he out the devils they were talking about Jesus and he called them unto him and said unto them in parables this is Jesus' response he said, How can Satan cast out Satan? Jesus kind of just points out the the uh, the uh, ludicrous uh, nature of the argument. How, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, the kingdom cannot uh, stand. So, and so Jesus says, what you're saying doesn't even make sense. If I was operating on the power of Satan, why would I want to cast out my own team, right? Jesus says, uh, a divided kingdom uh, that uh, that is divided against itself will not stand. And, and so there was different responses. And we're going to see how Jesus responded to that criticism here in just a moment. But I want you to see, acknowledge the power of Jesus is where we begin. The second thought today is this. We advance the mission of Jesus okay so again what are we talking about today living on purpose living according to the purpose that God's given us we acknowledge his power acknowledge the power of Jesus and then we advance and we accelerate the mission of Jesus okay everybody still with me now I love Jesus's response to the criticism have you ever wondered how, how should I respond to a critic notice what Jesus does here in verse 35. And Jesus went went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus did not give a verbal response. He responded by going out and doing greater ministry, greater miracles, more opportunity to help people. Hey, one of the greatest ways that you can respond to a critic is to say, you know what, I'm going to advance the mission of Jesus. Uh, There's more people that need uh, the love of Jesus. There's more people that need the grace of Jesus. There's more people and more marriages and more teenagers that need to be restored. And so rather than dabbling in every single person that throws shade in my direction, I'm going to go out and advance the mission of Jesus. I'm going to do what he's called me to do. And so I love Jesus' response. He goes out into these villages and into these cities, and he is doing the work of the Father of what God had given to him. Now, according to Josephus, who was a first-century Jewish historian, he said that there were about, in this region that Jesus was in, there were about 204 cities and villages. He he equates that to perhaps upwards of 3 million people um, in this area. A city would be a town with a wall, a village would be a town with no wall, and Jesus is going, thank you, Siri, said, said city. The devil's just trying to distract me today, but he's not going to do it, he's not going to do it. Now, Jesus was going town to town, to city to village, and he was teaching and preaching and healing. And I want you to see in verse number 35, I believe that this is so beautiful for us to unpack and understand. What we see is Jesus gives us a threefold purpose for ministry. And what, is, what, what should the ministry really be all about? Now, this is important. I want you to listen in uh, because this is what the church should be all about. A lot of times people say, what should I look for in a church? I would say, let's look at verse 35 and see. Because Jesus is giving us the template and the example of what to look for uh, in life and ministry. Okay, there's a threefold purpose. The first one is this, teaching. Verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. And so wherever there were Jewish people, wherever there were 10 Jewish males, there would be a synagogue. And so Jesus was going to the synagogues, and he was there teaching. Now, a synagogue was the center of Jewish community, the center of Jewish life. It was far more than just a church building. It was kind of like city hall, the town hall, the the court system, everything all in one. This is where uh, the center of Jewish life took place. Jesus went there, and he was teaching. Now, uh, there was... Uh, A historian named Philo of Alexandria. And he talked about what they would do in the synagogues and what the purpose of the synagogues in the first century were. And he said this synagogues were mainly for the detailed reading and exposition of scripture. And so, what were the synagogues all about? Uh, the exposition, the explaining, the unpacking of Scripture. And so, I believe today the first uh, primary characteristic of the ministry of Jesus was hey, uh, teaching. Uh, and, and a primary characteristic of the church today ought to be the teaching of God's word. Uh, teaching. Acts chapter 17, verse number 11. Uh, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And watch this and they searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Hey, t- t- to read the word of God, to explain the word of God, and-, and there ought to be a high value on the teaching of God's word, uh, that we understand what we are learning. Uh, Nehemiah said it this way. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 8, Ezra said, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. Watch this. This is so vitally important. So they read in the book of the law, they read God's word distinctly, and they gave the sense... And they cause them to understand the reading. And so we don't just come together on a Sunday morning and say, hey, let me just share a couple of things that I think are really helpful from my personal experience, and let me just talk about a really great story that I think will make you laugh, and then we'll all just leave here feeling better about ourselves. No, we come together to read the Word of God, to, uh, uh, to exegete the Scripture, to unpack what Jesus is saying, to unpack the Scripture, and then we apply it to our lives. It's not about what we think. It's all about what God's Word says. This is the teaching of God's word. And so, you know, someone asked me recently, we were talking, you know, what do you look for in a church? You know, how how do I know if this is the right place? Well, you know, what you look for in a church is not just the greatest facilities, not just the greatest, you know... uh, uh availability in the kids ministry with you know slides and i, I love that's all great and wonderful uh, but what we look for is not uh the, the externals and and uh, we don't just look for a church that has everyone just like me and everyone's in my demographic and as long as everyone looks like me and is in my demographic then i know that's where that's where i belong that's not what we look for in a church uh, first and foremost we look for a place that is elevating the name of jesus uh, magnifying the name of jesus and teaching faithfully the word of god teaching god's truth uh reading it, explaining it, giving the sense and giving an application so that we're growing according to Scripture. And so Jesus was going to the synagogues and he was teaching. And so the first component of his ministry was teaching. The second component, I want you to see it there in verse 35, is preaching. And so he went about teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, uh, this word preaching is a little bit different than teaching Uh, The word uh, preaching, Caruso, it means to herald, to make a public announcement. And so this uh, is the equivalent of evangelization to go out and to communicate the fact that Jesus saves. We come together in the house of God and there's teaching and we learn from God's word. And then the Caruso, the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, and when you're saved, you are translated into the kingdom that you're already a part of the kingdom of God. And we've been called to build and expand that kingdom. And so we go out and we preach and we proclaim. Uh, That's what this season for our church has been all about. Open House Sunday, we wanna go out and proclaim the good news of the gospel and say, hey, uh, you should come and you should experience and you should see what Jesus has done in my life and what he can do in your life. And we go out and we evangelize and we spread the name of Jesus. And so uh, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was telling people how they could be saved. And so there was teaching, there was preaching. And then the third component of Jesus' ministry in verse 35, everybody still with me? Verse 35, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus did a massive amount of healing. Jesus was deeply concerned, as we will see, with the needs of people. And he went about healing. In fact, in the Gospel of John, it says all the books in the world couldn't contain everything that Jesus did. Massive amounts of healing. Now, why did Jesus do this? Two reasons, I believe. Uh, First, I believe that Jesus performed so many miracles and healed so many people to confirm and validate the message that he was giving. See, when Jesus would go to the synagogues and when he would teach, he was teaching something uh, radically different than the rabbis of the day. Uh, Jesus was telling people, hey, follow me. A rabbi would never say that. A rabbi would say, follow God. Jesus said, follow me. And so now everyone is saying, this is different, this is unique. And so what Jesus was doing was he was performing miracle after miracle to confirm and to validate uh, the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, the second reason that Jesus performed these miracles and, the, and the, this massive amount of healing was to demonstrate his sympathy and his kindness. I believe Jesus loves People far more than we could ever imagine. And he was desperately concerned for the needs of people and went out to show his love and his mercy and his grace toward them. Uh, Psalm 86, verse number five For thou, Lord, art good. Aren't you thankful that he is good, ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them? that call upon the... See, you can teach the word of God. We can come together and we can grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we can have the teaching of God's word and we can go out to the highways and hedges and we can proclaim and so we can have teaching and proclaiming and teaching and preaching, but if we don't love people, if we don't demonstrate the, the love and the kindness that Jesus has demonstrated, we're gonna miss the mark because First Corinthians 13 says this, though I speak with the tongues of men and have angels and have not charity... If I don't have love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, he's saying, I'm just making noise. That, that, that if it's all about what we know and never about who we love and demonstrate the love of Jesus to, oh, we're just making noise. And I want you to know, we are not called to just make a noise. We're called to make a difference. And, and Jude said, some having compassion making a difference. And so we see that, that we're not going to be able to do the healing that Jesus did, but hey, we can show the love and the kindness that Jesus did. And so we see this threefold ministry of Jesus, teaching, preaching, healing, and we see that we are to advance the mission that Jesus has given us. So, number three today, we acknowledge the power of Jesus. We advance the mission of Jesus. Number three, we adopt the heart of Jesus. His heart must become our heart. We see it starting in verse number 36. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Compassion. Now, I think sometimes we struggle with empathy. We struggle with sympathy from time to time. I remember when Kate and I first got married, we went to Disneyland one day, and uh, we were having a great time together. We were hanging out at Disneyland, and I ate something that made me sick, some sort of food poisoning. And uh, I came home that night, and uh, I was just up all night, and I was just leaning over the sink. And I remember it was, it was like three o'clock in the morning, and I just felt terrible. And I was leaning over the sink, and Katie got up in the middle of the night. This was. Like 3 o'clock in the morning, she started walking over, and I thought, good, she's going to come over and help me, and maybe she's going to give me a glass of water, maybe she's going to rub my back, maybe she's going to give me a cold rag and put put it on my face or something like that. But rather, she came over, and she had a can of Lysol in her hand, and she started spraying me with Lysol. And I was like, not the right time, right? Like, she was really worried that was gonna, she was going to get sick from it. And uh, I was like, I need a little bit more sympathy than that. Uh, sometimes I think we struggle uh, demonstrating sympathy and making someone else's burden our burden, right? But what I want you to see in this, in this text is that Jesus has a genuine, real sympathy and compassion for people. Did you notice that it says when Jesus saw Your eye always affects your heart. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. And I believe that that statement is convicting because so often when we see the multitudes, we're moved with frustration. You know, how many times we talk about how bad the culture is and how crazy people are and how bad things are. And and when when we see the culture today, we're just moved to frustration. But Jesus looked out on the multitude, and he was moved to compassion. Talking about being moved in his inner being, in in, in the pit of his stomach, he was moved with compassion for people. He saw them as as, as scattered abroad, having a having a, a no direction, a sheep with no shepherd, and he was moved with compassion for them. They fainted. They scattered. Jesus was demonstrating this kind of compassion. Now it's interesting in the first century. This would have been very unfamiliar as well. Now, now, we've heard that verse many times. Jesus was moved with compassion. We're like, okay, yes, we know. God is love. Uh, we know this. And sometimes we can become accustomed to it. But in the first century, they were used to gods that were very different. The Greek gods were known for their indifference. I mean, one of the one of the major attributes that were attributed to a, a Greek god was apatheia, uh, which where we get our word apathy, that they were just indifferent. But essentially, uh, there are gods, but they do not care about you. That is not our God. And sometimes the devil wants to jump on our backs and say, God doesn't care about your pain. He's he's disinterested in what's going on in your life. But can I just remind you that we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that God feels our pain and his heart breaks when our hearts break. He loves us. He's moved with compassion towards us. Why? Because he is compassion. He is love. 1 John 4, 8, for he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. I want you to see a scene where I believe it kind of embodies this, this idea that, and this truth that Jesus is moved with compassion, he has a heart for people. In John chapter 11, verse number 33, it says this. Everybody stay with me? John 11, 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. Okay, this is the scene where, where Lazarus dies. Lazarus, Lazarus, Mary, Martha were. Jesus' closest friends. The Bible says that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head, which means that Jesus, when he was traveling, he didn't have a a, a home base of operation. He didn't have a home. But he would often stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so these were his friends. He loved them greatly. Lazarus died. Mary and Martha were upset because they said, God, you allowed this to happen. In fact, it's interesting because they they came and asked God. They they came and asked Jesus, Mary and Martha, and they said, will you please come and, and, and heal Lazarus? He's sick. Please come and heal Lazarus. And if you read the accounting in John chapter 11, it says that Jesus abode still two days. Why would he do that? It's like when we rush to God, will you please answer me? And God says, wait, two days. Wait. Mary and Martha said, please, will you come, Lazarus? We know that you love Lazarus, Jesus. You've spent so much time with him. He's sick. He's dying. Will you please come and heal him? Jesus waits two days. And when he waits two days, then they come back and they say, it's too late, Jesus. He died. Why would you have not come the first time? And when Jesus sees them in their hurt, when he sees Mary and Martha crying, notice how he responds. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and he was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. He wept. The Bible says that he groaned in the spirit, this means the the idea of this word "grown in the spirit." It's literally talking about being seized by an anguishing emotion, a loud, violent cry. Why? He was moved with compassion. His hurt was his hurt, and, and I hope that. Thinking about this today does two things. I hope there's encouragement for us today knowing that, that that Jesus loves you with an immeasurable love, and when you hurt, he hurts. But I also hope it gives us exhortation to understand that we are to demonstrate that kind of love for other people in our lives and that we are to go and to be burden bearers and to lift others up and to and to be sympathetic to someone else in their time of need. First Peter 3.8 says, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. And so we have to advance the mission of Jesus. We have to adopt the heart of Jesus and love people and ask God to give us a burden for people. And this leads us to our fourth and final thought today. Do you have one more in you this morning? Number four is this. Then we must answer the prayer of Jesus. So We advance the mission of Jesus. We adopt the heart of Jesus. We acknowledge the power of Jesus. But then we answer the prayer of Jesus. If we're going to live on purpose, according to a higher purpose, we answer his prayer. Now, I want you to see in verse 37. Notice what it says. Then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Did you see it? There's a great opportunity before us. Jesus says, hey, the harvest is plenteous. There is a great opportunity. The problem is that there's not enough people advancing my kingdom. Not enough laborers. There's not enough laborers. We have so many People advancing their own kingdom but not advancing my kingdom can I tell you today please, please hear me today we have a great harvest before us the harvest is plenty we have a great opportunity before us last year we, we led the church in a campaign called gaining ground when we were first gonna get into this building and we studied some of the demographics of the area and just within a very short driving distance of where we are right now upwards of 820,000 people who are not followers of Jesus in a very very short driving distance 120,000 people that do not know Jesus, a great opportunity is before us. Hey, we can talk about California all day long and, and everything that's wrong with the state and everything that's wrong in, in, in the world today. Hey, uh, California has 40 million people. What an amazing opportunity to share the gospel. The darker the night, the brighter the light. California is larger than every country in the world, all but 35. 40 million people in our state. The harvest is plenteous. The opportunity before us is great, but the laborers are few. Jesus said we need more people to engage in the mission and answer the prayer of Jesus to go out and to tell others to come in. He says there's an opportunity before us. But then in verse number 38, we have a very familiar and profound statement. And in fact, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers in London at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, he used to say that verse 38 weighed on his heart more than any other text in scripture. He said verse 38 used to haunt him. Notice it. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. It's very interesting what Jesus specifically asks us to pray for. It's interesting in this context, Jesus doesn't say pray for the lost. He says pray for the laborers. I believe it's a good thing. It's a great thing to pray for the lost, to pray for your neighbor to come to church and and to pray that your neighbor will get saved and pray for your neighbor to be reached with the gospel. But maybe we should also pray, Lord, would you send someone Will you send send someone to share the gospel with them? Because if you are praying for laborers, it just might be that you are the laborer that God wants to send. See, we ought to pray for laborers and pray and ask God to give us a burden to go and reach people. See, we need a church not of supervisors. We need a church of laborers that will engage in the mission and advance in the mission and to say, you know what? I will answer the prayer of Jesus. I'll answer the call. Just like Isaiah, here am I, send me. I'll go, I'll give an invite, I'll serve, I'll be a part of the mission. I recognize this is bigger than me. It's not about a position, it's all about the mission. It's all about reaching people with the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus, and we will stand before God. Individual soul liberty means that each and every one of us will stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. And in that day, we want to be able to cast crowns at Jesus' feet, and we wanna hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. See, what we do now matters for all of eternity. And I'm praying today that some of us would say, you know what, I need to get out of my comfort zone and I need to answer this prayer request that Jesus gave. We need more harbor, we need more laborers to advance the mission, to go out into the harvest. You know what's interesting? Jesus told the disciples, pray for laborers, right? Pray for laborers, that was the prayer request. By the way, in this moment, he didn't give them a great strategy. He said, pray, pray, pray. As a church, I wanna encourage us, this week, let's pray. Let's be praying. Every day, set an alarm on your phone. Let's be praying for Open House Sunday. Let's be praying for God to do what only God can do. Hey, we're gonna work like everything depended on us, but we're gonna pray like everything depended on God. Pray, pray. And then what's interesting, the very next chapter, verse number 10, everybody with me? Very next chapter, verse number one. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, He gave them the power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Here's what I want you to see. They answered the call. Jesus said, pray for laborers, and they prayed for laborers, and guess what? The very next verse, there was 12 new laborers, 12 new people that Jesus sent out. They answered the call, and they went out to advance the mission of Jesus. Today, I want to encourage our church family as we're getting ready for this Open House Sunday to recognize we've been brought so that we can bring and let's pray and ask God to do a miracle next Sunday. Fill up three services, not for our glory, all for his glory. Let's recognize that we've been called to live on purpose. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.